How's it going? Good. Um, if I've not met you, my name's Tom, and I'm married to Jessica, and we've got four kids. Um, and I am one of the elders here at Anchor Point, and I actually lead the team of elders. And I wanted to clarify something. Ironically, I confused a bunch of people last week when we were talking about clarity. Um, <laughs> we have a team of elders, and the only official elders we have right now are Kevin Butler, who was just up here, and myself. But in that group, every week, or every time we meet Josh Ross, who is up here welcoming everyone, and Timothy Silern, we sit together. So those guys aren't officially elders yet, but they're a part of the decisions that are being made. They're praying for you guys. They're helping shape what we're talking about week to week. And so that is the team. But the only official elders are Kevin and I, okay? But we want more. So far. So just to bring some clarity to that whole thing. And part of our responsibility as elders is to help, like, shape and govern and make sure we're on point with our vision and what God's calling us to be and do as a community. And that's why the last you know, six or seven weeks we've been talking about um, this pastoral vision that we have for this year, which is to bring clarity to everything that we're doing. And clarity must be stronger than confusion, okay? Clarity has to be stronger, for, stronger than confusion for, for fruitfulness and for effectiveness to actually take place in anything, but especially when you've got a bunch of people involved in the mix. And we've been working off of this Venn diagram. Matt, shout out to Matt. He just told me this is a Venn diagram. Um, this is our, our, like our mission matrix and kind of explaining and unpacking what our vision and mission is as a community and as a church. And it's been fun. I think we're seven weeks in so far. And our mission is in Allison as it is in heaven. And how we do that is we follow the way of Jesus for the renewal of our town. This is what we're doing. This is what we're giving, our, giving ourselves to our lives too. This is what we're teaching into as, 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 a, as a church community. And the context for what we're going to be talking about today are these two different things that are happening. God's kingdom coming. So the story of the Bible, the story of reality that he- heaven was on earth, but it was ripped apart into heaven and earth. And God is on this mission to reunite these two realms again. And that we as people are learning how to be a human being from Jesus Christ. And that's the process of discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. So within that whole context, within that whole realm of thinking, we're unpacking our values. And our values, as, as we're going to be teaching through them, they, they build upon the previous one. So our definition of values is this. Values are essential core beliefs and biblical convictions about what is good, desirable, and worthwhile, motivating meaningful and purposeful action. So as human beings, as individuals, and as, as organizations, or as a company, or whatever that might be, our values actually shape our actions. They're, they're linked together. Actions can always be linked to our values. And sometimes that's a sobering thing, where you're like, okay, if I trace back my actions, I'm seeing that my values are actually askew. I'm actually really self-centered, or I'm whatever that might be. But the, the hopeful thing, and the positive thing, is that We're trying to define values to help give shape and context and eventually get into our DNA as a community. What are the things that we we do see in Scripture, in the life of Jesus, that are good, desirable, and worthwhile? And how do these things motivate us to do the things we're called to do as human beings? And we we talked through this kind of idea that, you know, we have a vision, which we just talked about, and we have these values. And the hope is that these values, the more we live them out, the more they're actionable in our lives. They become part of our DNA. And as we're all doing that together, it builds this culture. And then hopefully that culture will be right on point with the vision and this whole cycle just keeps going on and on and on. 
And so lived out values become part of our own DNA, which forms a culture that should perpetually pull towards the vision that one has. So what we're doing, what we're, we're, we're trying to spend our time fighting for and contending for as we unpack these values is for shared language and for shared meaning. Because we talked about this last week, we can say the same word and mean something different. So as we're unpacking values, we're wanting to, to have a shared language and a shared meaning. So our values, so far, our, our values, again, the context of this is life in the kingdom of God, where God is king and he gets to define what is good and what is meaningful and worthwhile. And so today we're going to be discussing our next value. And again, like I said earlier, our, each value builds upon the last. And so a lot of the things I'm going to be saying today, guys, they're, they're assuming that you've heard the week before. Okay, so if you haven't heard, I'm sorry, but you can listen on the podcast or whatever. I'll, I'll read quickly over what our last value is. But there might be some, you might be thinking, okay, how come we didn't mention that? Or how come we didn't mention that? I'm, I'm assuming you've heard what was last week. And I'm building upon that foundation. So the first value we discussed was God's rule expressed in God's way or the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that God, our Father, the Creator, out of His undying love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, and death, and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish His kingdom through His people in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the good news of the gospel. So today, we're going to be moving on. And at the intersection of God's rule and God's people is identity. So this is our second value. It's identity. God's rule expressed in God's people gives us a redeemed or new identity. That's a good thing. Because a lot of us are walking around asking the question. Every human being has to ask this question, who am I? Who am I? It's a big deal. In our definition of identity, this is how we're going to be thinking through it. Identity is expressed uniquely as we are rooted in belonging to the Father, becoming our true selves in Christ, and believing that this is only possible through the ongoing empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Okay? I'll read that one more time. Identity is expressed uniquely as we are rooted in belonging to the Father, becoming our true selves in Christ, and believing that this is only possible through the ongoing empowerment of the Holy Spirit. One way to think about identity is to think about names. And naming things is not the easiest thing in the world. Any parents in the room, we would know this. This whole ongoing debate, discussion, I don't like that name. I went to high school with someone who had that name. I didn't like them. We can't name our child this. Anyone else? Um, why would you spell it that way? You know, you go back and forth. Maybe you own a business, and the same thing. I, don't, I, I want my business name to kind of encapsulate my vision for what, it want, what I want it to be, and it can't be too trendy, but it can't be too you know, old-fashioned. It has to be timeless. Or maybe, you know, I remember being in middle school and high school and playing music, and coming up with a band name was so difficult. You know? That's like a whole other realm of things. Or maybe, you know, in a lesser level, a pet. We're not enough about that. But... Um, <laughs> But the whole idea that naming things is not the easiest thing in the world. It's definitely not. And, you know, we, we joke around and names don't really mean as much as they do in, in, in our culture as they would have in biblical times or even in other cultures now. But in our Western culture, names don't really mean that much. Um, and so our culture and world, though, it, it's interesting. Our culture and world names us from a very young age. Okay, so if you think about growing up, going to school, 
or just being alive in general. There's different classifications or names that you're given, and these are helpful. You, know, you meet two people, and you're trying to distinguish between the two later on when you're talking to your spouse, which, oh, the taller one. You know, those things help in, in terms of distinction and delineating things. But the thing is, when we, the, the difficult thing is when we adopt those things as part of our identity. When we, we, we take those names and apply them to, this is who I actually am. And that could be physical things, like I'm tall or I'm short. This could be intellectual things, like in school I was applied, I wasn't academic, I wasn't smart enough to make it into that, that classroom. Or maybe it's your socioeconomic thing, where I grew up rich or you grew up poor, or whatever that might be, or I was popular and you were unpopular, or whatever that might be. But the, the deal I'm trying to make is that our culture and our world names us from a very young age. And some of these are helpful names and some of these are not helpful names. And this carries on into adulthood where, you know, our profession or our status with our relationships or, again, those same things are carried in, the, how much money you, money you make or what you do for vacation. You know, they're successful or unsuccessful. And those names are attached to ourselves and become a part of our identity. The interesting thing, though, is that these names don't always reflect God's purpose or how he sees us. Okay? They're often at odds with how God sees us or, or at odds with God's purpose for our life. And what have others named you? I want you to take, just take a second. Think, think through that. What have others named you? My grandma had the unfortunate um, lot in life to be named Edna. And I remember... It's funny because my, I grew up with my grandma and my great-grandma being alive, and they were a pretty big part of my, my childhood. My great-grandmother's name is Phyllis, and my grandma's name is Edna. And I remember them driving in the car somewhere, and my grandma being like, why did you name me Edna? Why? You know, she had lived with this, and so she, she, didn't even, she wouldn't even go by that name. She called herself Mimi and all that stuff. But there was this debate about why did you name me that? You know, I didn't want to be that person that you called me or that you named me. Um, so what are some things that you have been named by other people? You know, for some of us, okay, you're the funny guy, or you're the successful woman, or you're the black sheep in your family, or you're our only hope, you know, we're, we're, everything's riding on you. And that's difficult, that's stressful, that's painful, because inevitably, guys, life throws you a curveball. What happens if, if you're choosing to identify yourself or other people have called you the funny guy, what happens when your jokes are no longer funny? Or what happens when you're the successful woman and actually your business goes under? How does that play out? Or, or, you know, the list could go on. But the thing is, our lives are completely unpredictable. And so if we're building our identity around circumstances or about performance or, or about possessions or anything, any of these things, it's pretty shaky ground. So what have others named you? That's helpful to think through. But also, what have you named yourself? Have you taken those things into yourself where the whole mantra of our, basically our culture right now is just be true to yourself? What does that even mean? And to me, when I read that and I think about that, in some cases I understand what they're trying to say, but more often than not it feels like it lacks some type of gravity, some type of, of being tethered to something bitter or better. It feels unrooted and ungrounded. And the pressure, again, about being and assuming those names that people have given to you or that you've named yourselves, these are fragile, lopsided, and often hollow identities that we live out of. Always, on, you're, you're always on the defense trying to make sure that those things don't fall apart. You're trying to make sure you stay funny. You're trying to make sure you stay successful. 
You're trying to make sure you're not the black sheep or you're trying to live into that hope. And that's so much pressure. But for those of us who are living in the kingdom now, those of us who are responding and saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus, the gospel, the good news of the gospel is reshaping and reorienting your reality. I think the questions that we need to ask about identity are different than often are asked. So instead of asking, who am I? I think the question we need to be asking, first of all, is whose am I? Instead of asking, okay, who am I right now? It needs to be instantaneous right now. It's who am I becoming? And then finally, what do I need? How can I get this identity? What can I buy? What can I purchase? What can I experience to feel fulfilled or to feel, my, like, feel myself? The question is, how do I actually become my true self? How do I become me? So those are the three questions we're going to talk through today. Whose am I? Who am I becoming? And how do I become me? Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll read together some scriptures and talk through those questions. So, Father, we're grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for the good news of the gospel, that it is real, that it is true. And I ask this morning that as we think through these things, as we kind of bring to mind just different names we've called ourselves or seen ourselves as or other people have spoken over us, we pray that your truth would be written on our hearts, that we would see what you see, and that we would respond yes to your invitation to follow you into becoming ourselves. And so, Holy Spirit, come, lead, guide, illuminate, use me, do whatever you need to do. Lord, I pray that we would just leave this place transformed more into the image of Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a great uh, interaction in the Old Testament between Moses and Yahweh, the God of the Bible. And in this interchange, God shares his name with Moses. And we, we did a whole series on this. And what, what, what it means by sharing your name is what, what makes me me, the truest thing about me, my essence. And so in this interchange, Moses gets to learn who God is. And so we're going to start by, by reading that. This is from Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is the God of the Bible expressing and explaining to Moses, a human being, this is who I am. This is my identity. This is what makes me, me. And the very interesting thing about this is that Yahweh is distinguishing himself from other little G gods that are there. And what he's saying, in him even saying he has a name, it implies like a specific identity in the whole grand scheme of reality. And his name, Yahweh, means this. Yahweh is and will continue to be what he is and will forever be. So this is his identity. He is always merciful and gracious. He's always slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeping, he's keeping steadfast love for thousands and on and on it goes. He is that completely all the time, completely, fully, forever. And the interesting thing, if we compare that to ourselves, we are what we are only some of the time, right? I'm only nice sometimes. I'm only kind, you know, a small fraction of the time or whatever that might be. But the thing is, as we're talking about the uncertainty or the, the, the lack of, of uh, feeling safe in our identity, trying to find it in these names and these things that we do, 
It, if, if we flip the question on its head, instead of who am I, it comes to whose am I, this starts to shift, shift our thinking differently. So this is whose we are. We are Yahweh's children. This is what it says in Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now thus says the Lord. So that's the same. That's Yahweh. But now thus says Yahweh, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So we start thinking about identity with this. Who do we belong to? We belong to Yahweh. Even as I say that, I'm like, oh, man, that's so good. That's good news. Who, who am I starts with whose am I? We have to start here. And this is why it's so important for us guys to read the scriptures, to read the Bible, to understand who this God is that we see all the way from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Who is this God? Whose am I? It's, it's a great invitation to learn and to discover whose we actually are. The Father, he calls us by name. We belong to him. And this is all possible in and through what we talked about last week in the story of the gospel. Let's look at um, the life of Jesus. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 3. The same idea. Whose am I? Matthew chapter 3. Uh, this is Jesus being baptized. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to read from verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, this, talking about John the Baptist, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus' ministry started from that point on. He needed to know whose he was. This is my beloved son. And that launched him into his identity as the God-man, as the one who's going to come and, and reconcile us to the Father. He's going to reconnect heaven and earth completely and fully again. This is who Jesus is. Jesus was reminded whose he was. He is the, the son of the Father. It goes on, guys, if we're thinking, about, okay, who's, who's am I? The Father calls us, he names us, he calls us by name. What does he call us? And again, we're going to just go through this real quickly. He calls us image bearers. He calls us very good. How often do you feel like that is true? He calls us to bear Christ's name. He calls us children of God, and he calls us friends of God. This is what the Father calls you and me. But the question is, do I call myself that? No. I often think the inverse of that. You know, it's true more often than not. But again, that's, that's me trying to find who am I outside of God. It's whose am I is where we're starting here. Do we call ourselves these names? This is a quote from a great book called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. Too easily we have settled for knowing about God. Too easily our actual relationship with God is remarkably superficial. Is it any surprise then we, that we haven't learned very much about ourselves as a result of this encounter? And this, this quote is to get us to think about this whole idea. And this is my summary statement for this first question of whose am I is this. In discovering whose I am, I discover who I am. So in discovering whose I am, I discover who I am. And so often I'm looking to discover who I am apart from God. 
and trying to come and perform for God. Like, if only I was good enough to get your attention, then maybe you'd look on me and forgive me and think I'm... It's, that's not the point. Who I am, who you are, is rooted in who he is and whose you are instead of who you are, first of all. So again, in discovering whose I am, I'm able to discover who I am. That's the first question we need to ask. The second question we need to ask is, who am I becoming? Because right, this is a whole process. This is a journey. This is a whole, we as followers of Jesus are looking to the future. So that we're, we believe that eternity is in session now. We're looking forward to a new creation, all this kind of stuff. Um, and I, I, I was thinking about it this way. When I got married to my wife almost 13 years ago, that day, her father, you know, he did the, the ceremony. He pronounced Jess and I husband and wife. And so at that moment, I became a husband. And in that moment, did I know how to be a husband? Not even close. Not, I was, you know, I had no clue how to be a husband. But that did not mean I was not a husband in that moment. So the whole process, you know, we're 13 years in now, I'm slowly learning to become who I already am. Or, or 12 years ago, when Jess, you know, pulled me aside and said, I'm pregnant with Lily. At that moment, I became a father in, in, in the grand scheme of things. But I, I am slowly becoming who I already am. So it, it, it's different to think about it this way because I think about life like this. I'm only as good as my last success or failure. Like that's my identity is rooted in the, in the present tense right now rather than the, the grand scheme of things, the eternal perspective of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So it's, it's important for us to think through this. Who am I becoming? And this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, this is one of the most gushing and incredible portions of Scripture. I'm going to read it from the, the Passion Translation. Um, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. What? Mind-blowing. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the Anointed One, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. Since we are now joined to Christ, we have been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of his grace. This superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing within us all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. That's a lot of words. 
But the point is that before you were even formed, before the foundation of the world was even laid, God had a plan for you. So he had, he had in mind who you are, who you will be. And that's what we're stepping into is that, that although, you know, the, the scriptures that we're reading here, I, I often don't feel holy or blameless. Through what Jesus has done for us and in us and through us, we are out now seen as he's seen as holy and blameless, right? And so we're becoming who we are in Christ. Okay, it's, it's linked, it, it's inextricable from the gospel as followers of Jesus. I'm becoming who I am only through what Christ has done for me. But there's, there's a process, there's a journey, and that's the point. So it's who am I becoming? Who are you becoming? And the good news is that for each and every one of us who are saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus, yes to the gospel, you're becoming like Christ. You're, you're becoming like Christ, and that is good news. When Jesus came, he came to show us what God is really like, but he also came to show us what humanity is really like in terms of walking in union with the Father. Galatians 4.19, Paul says this, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's what he's hungering for. He's desiring Christ to be formed in his his friends and family. And that's our desire as as a leadership team is that Christ would be formed in every single one of us here. That is our desire. So who are you becoming? Who are you putting in front of yourself to imitate? And how does this follow out and flesh out? How does this often work out? And again, this is the process that we're living within, even in terms of the whole biblical narrative, we're living in the already and not yet tension, right? Where God's kingdom has been inaugurated by Jesus, but it's not fully fulfilled yet. And we're living in this tension there. And this is the process that we're, that we're walking through in becoming like Jesus. We see this illustrated really poignantly in the life of one of Jesus' disciples named Peter. Peter was a guy that I think most of us could relate to. He was all over the place. He was up. He was down. He was left. He was right. And he, he had this really interesting interchange with Jesus where uh, Jesus is asking his disciples, like, who do, who do you say that I am? And there's all these different answers. And then Peter gets it. He says, you're the Messiah. You're the chosen one. And Jesus is like, yes. He latches on to that. And so this guy who's all over the place, he actually hears and knows the truth. And in that moment, Jesus says to him, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. And I think about his friends being like, bro, seriously, that guy? <laughs> Remember Tuesday, man? Like, what the heck just happened? And, and it's interesting because Jesus was saying, this is who you are. You, can, you need to become this. You're not that yet. But I see this in you. I see this down in there. And he was anything but a rock at that point. But Christ saw something in him. And so the, the summary point of this, if we're following Jesus, if we're living life in the kingdom, if we're saying, yes, I am God's, that, that this is true. In becoming like Jesus, I become myself. So in our search for identity and purpose and, and figuring out who we are, in becoming like Jesus, I become myself. So you're only going to be your truest self as you enter into this whole relationship of discipleship or apprenticeship or becoming your true self in Jesus. Okay, great. So how does that happen? How do I become me? This is what uh, Paul says in Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, 
But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. So how do I become me? How do you become you? God helps us through his spirit. By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're able to become our true selves. And this is really helpful and and hopefully encouraging to you guys as we kind of learn to recognize the more we're around Jesus, the more the gospel becomes true in our life, the more we realize who our father actually is the easier it will be to recognize the false selves that we've been living out. The other, the wrong names that we've been living into and, and following through with. And this is, again, from that same book by David Benner. These, these two, two different things about um, the false self and the true self. So I'm just going to read through these. The font is a lot smaller than I thought it would be. But the false self, I'll kind of compare and contrast. Okay, So the false self, security and significance is achieved by what you have what you can do, and what others think of us. I think all of us could relate to that in some measure. Okay, the true self, security and significance is achieved by being deeply loved by God. Wow. Okay, the false self, number two, happiness is sought in autonomy from God and in attachments. Hmm. The true self is fulfillment found in surrender to God and living our vocation. Number three, the false self. Identity is our idealized self who we want others to think that we are. The true self, identity is who you are and uh, it's who you are and who you are becoming in Christ. Hmm. Number four, the false self is achieved by means of pretense and practice. The true self received as a gift with gratitude and surrender. Number five, the false self is maintained by effort and control. Number five, for the true self that is maintained by grace. The false self embraces illusion as a means of attempting to become a God. And the true self embraces reality as the place of meeting and being transformed by God. So there has to come in each and every one of us this recognition of, okay, I, in, in every one of us, there's going to be some measure of both of those things, right? But it's learning to become aware and, and safe to the point where I can say, okay, yeah, I am totally living out my false self in these situations and in these areas and in these ways. But there's an invitation to, to take on and to, to become yourself in Jesus, to become your true self by depending on the Holy Spirit and partnering with them to see that happen. So this is done in a partnership. It's not like we sit there in a trance for, for 19 days and all of a sudden we step into our true self. It's, that, it's a process. It's an ongoing thing where we're partnering with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to reveal to us who Jesus is. He loves to reveal to us who we are becoming in Christ. He loves to convict us of sin. And why he does that is because those are the things, those are the ways of thinking, those are the, the actions that we live out that, that are in opposition to God's rule in God's way. So he's like, hey, if you're going to become yourself, we got to do, do away with this stuff because it doesn't have any, any place in you becoming your true self, becoming like Jesus. 
And so there's this whole process that we're invited into of partnership with him, relying on him, saying, okay, you actually show me Jesus because I, I see dimly. I, I project my face onto Jesus's face and we don't actually look that similar. And I project my definition of good and evil into the situation rather than yours. I need your help there. But Paul also talks about this, that we actually need to put off the old self and put on the new self, which means that we are engaged here. It's not like we're just sitting there like, uh, okay, nothing's happening yet. I'm still doing the same stuff. It's, we are engaging with the Holy Spirit to do this. That is how you become yourself. And so this happens, this process of dealing with fear, that's like what Paul was saying in Romans 8, that, the, that, that love is replacing fear. And fear keeps us locked up in our false self, right? If they really knew that about me, they would never love me again. If they really knew what I thought about that thing, I would be alone. I would lose my identity. I would lose my name as the funny one or the, the, the good one or whatever that might be. But fear causes us to stay locked up in that position. But love releases us from that position where we can actually be honest with God. We can, we can let, let him in to those areas of brokenness and of pain and of hurt. And again, that's putting off that old self and, and, and in place of that, putting on the new self. And that process is we kind of try to hide our false self and become our true self. There's this disintegration that's happening where there's this cognitive dissonance like this, this isn't adding up. I'm projecting something, but inside I feel completely full of anxiety and fear and all that stuff. That in the gospel and in partnering with the Holy Spirit, He wants to reintegrate us. He wants to make us whole. He wants to make us who we really are in Jesus. And picking up the story of Peter, Peter goes on, and a few, few, you know, not that long after Jesus says this to him, "You're you're the rock on whom I'm going to build my church." Jesus goes to be, is arrested and is eventually handed over to be crucified. And in that process, he denies even knowing Jesus. So the guy who's, who Jesus is going to build the church on is denying him to little girls. They're asking, aren't you? And he's like, nope, don't even know who you're talking about. Don't know who Jesus is. And the, the interesting thing, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter is actually filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has ascended to the Father again. He's, he's risen from the dead. He's ascended to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. Peter is filled with the Spirit. He's partnering with the Holy Spirit. And he preaches the gospel. He preaches Jesus. And 3,000 people come into the kingdom that day. So from denying, even knowing Jesus to a small girl, to proclaiming and preaching with boldness the good news of the gospel of Jesus to 3,000 people and then coming into the kingdom. That is the process of partnering with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? So Peter, Peter became himself in partnering with the Holy Spirit. In partnering with Holy Spirit, I am free to become me. Or as Soren Kierkegaard, this is one of my favorite quotes, he says this, Now with God's help, I shall become myself. Now with God's help, I shall become myself. We cannot become ourselves. We cannot become who we really are in, in terms of imitating and becoming like Jesus without partnering with the Holy Spirit, okay? So I want to make this really clear as well. As we're thinking through identity and we're thinking through making this a value of ours, we're not after um, uniformity. We're not after everyone you know, starting to look like me and everyone has to have a beard, even the women, and they have to wear whatever color sweater this is. Like it's, we're not after like a monochromatic expression, um, 
You know what I'm saying? We're not after that. My, my, our heart, our, our desire is that you become who you really are in Christ. And there's no one who can express the compassion of Christ like you can. There's no one who can express the creativity of Christ like you can. And there's no one that can express the courage of Christ like you can. We need you to be yourself, okay? We need you to, to enter into this whole process of understanding whose you are and becoming like Jesus and depending on the Holy Spirit for that to happen. We need that. We're going to fight for that, which means we're going to call you out when you're not being yourself. We're going to say, hey, man, that's not you. What are you doing there? That is not, that is not who you're becoming in Jesus. Or how can I pray for you? How can I support you? And remember whose you are, dude. You're, you're, you're a child of the Father. He calls you very good. But that whole process, we're, we're looking for vibrancy, not uniformity. We believe strongly that, that that is what God is after. He talks about every tribe and every tongue bowing at the knee of Jesus and confessing him as Lord. We want you to be yourself in him. So that, that's the whole beginning, the bit at the beginning. That identity is uniquely expressed. But Christ is still the center and all that, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so, not blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Um, give me one sec. Okay, so just in, for you guys to think about and ponder this week, we're asking these questions for identity. Who's am I? Who am I becoming? And how do I become me? The first thing is, I want you to be honest and think through, okay, how much has this whole idea of God being my father really shaped the way I see myself? That he, the way he, is the way he sees you at all a part of the equation? And, and do you even know whose you are? Is it just like, I don't know, I go to church, I, I check that I'm a Christian on Facebook. What is your relationship with your father? Whose are you? How well do you know him? And I want to I challenge you to get to know him better this week. And I think that's, I mean, the most simple thing, you know, if you're a woman, sign up for the Bible study. That's a great way to know who your father is in more detail as you're studying the scripture. Guys, same thing. You don't have to just wait till there's a men's Bible study. Um, study the scripture, listen to teaching, listen to worship music, get to know who your father is. Do you know whose you are? The second thing is, who are you becoming? Um, we're going to send out later this week, there's a list of scriptures in the Bible called the um, Who I Am in Christ scriptures. We're going to send those out just for you to have as a reference point and just to be thinking through, okay, this is who I'm actually becoming in Christ. Who, this, is who I'm, this is where I'm pointing towards, this is where I'm heading and that, that should be helpful in grounding you in that way. You're becoming who you already are in Christ. And then finally, how do I become me? I want, I want us to take an honest assessment about how much of our false selves are we living out in reality? How much of, of that, that fear of if they really knew or if, if I have to do this, I have to achieve this or that, or all, all those wrong ways of thinking of becoming ourselves, how can we let go of those and become our true selves there. So we'll post those questions that we talked through earlier about how do, how do I become me and the true self and the false self. We'll get you guys this who I am in Christ scriptures and I want to challenge you to read your Bible this week. Learn whose you are. Okay? Yeah. All right. So I'm excited to see what this looks like in the, in the years and months and decades to come as you are becoming who you are in Christ. I'm excited to get to know those people. Um, so again, just in, in conclusion, in discovering whose I am, I discover who I am. 
In becoming like Jesus, I become myself. And in partnership with the Holy Spirit, I am free to become me. Good news. All right. So why don't we stand up, guys? I'm going to pray for us. The worship team wants to come up. They're on it already. Awesome. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us your own. Thank you that you are for us. I pray this week, God, that we would recognize just who you really are, that we would learn new things about you, that we would step into the security and the steadfastness of your love and of your identity, God. May it start there. I pray that that where we've had misconceptions about what you're like, Father, that those things would be rewritten, that those things would be solidified in our hearts and minds and how we see you and see other people. I pray, God, that we would realize that we're becoming who we already are in you, Jesus, that you're, that you're inviting, you've already invited us into something, and now we're just learning how to live that out day to day. And I thank you that you knew that that was going to be an impossible task without help from the Holy Spirit. And so, we pray for a greater measure of dependence on the Holy Spirit, uh, a shamelessness about that. Like, I, I can't do this without him, but also I need to be a part of this as well. I have to partner. I have to show up. I have to, to be ready to repent and to think differently and to, to, to engage with the world in a different way. So I sense, Lord, anticipation in people's hearts and hopefulness in people's hearts, and I pray that that would only continue to grow. Um, we're grateful, God, that you are bringing clarity, and we just pray that you continue to do that. Lord, let your kingdom come, and let your will be done, and Allison as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.